Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Tommy Har. Tommy Har is not only a real estate ninja, but he is an internet sensation. This guy is killing it on social media. He's got amazing content. He's got a huge following. He's bringing it every single day. He's flipping properties. He's wholesaling properties. He's bringing on rentals. He's doing the burst strategy. He's raising private money. He's having VAs do all this stuff for him. Like This guy is crushing it right now. And we were lucky enough to get him. We became friends. We're in some masterminds together. I think we actually even connected before the mastermind, but... Guy's been awesome, young dude, killing it, very humble, comes from a great background, and uh, I think he's going to be one of the biggest names in real estate in the next couple of years, so don't forget where you heard about him first, but I definitely expedited this, so if you guys are sitting there and you're thinking about getting into rehabbing, getting into wholesaling, he's offering a course coming up. I don't get anything from it. I'm not getting, he gave you guys a discount. I didn't ask him for anything for it, but I like what he's doing, so he'll be in Ohio doing a two-day event. I believe it's $2,000. He'll he'll talk about that, but shoot him a message on Instagram or just check the show notes. Again, I'm not getting anything from it. I'm probably going to be there, but reach out to him because he's going to go over a bunch of things. He'll talk about it at the end of what they teach there, how you can get involved, plugging you into his system. So definitely a guy that you should be watching and following right now because you want to see people that are doing actual deals today. And with his 150 rehabs, 100-plus wholesale deals, 65 rentals, Guy knows what he's doing. So appreciate Tommy Hart coming on. Guy could not be nicer. Just a cool, humble, good dude, kicking butt, taking names, and uh, you know, just inspiring people. So I appreciate him coming on. I love this interview. I feel lucky because he doesn't do a ton of these. So we got him, we got him before uh before the word gets out, if it hasn't gotten out already with the social media. But definitely check the show notes for all the ways to connect with him. Definitely reach out to him directly about potentially taking his class in December or whenever the next one comes around. I highly recommend it. On top of that. Subscribe to the podcast. The way we get these amazing guests like Tommy Hart to come on and share their wins and their losses and help you guys save time and make money is by subscribing to the podcast. So nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S. will get you all the way to subscribe to this podcast. It's everywhere. You can watch, watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it everywhere. Take a minute, subscribe to it, follow it. It really, really, really helps us. If you get a minute and you're feeling fancy, maybe leave a review. On top of that, Interact with us on social media. So whether it's Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it might be, on nicknicknick.com slash links, you'll find all the ways to connect with us on social media. I highly encourage you, please. I know you're sick of hearing about the algorithms, but it really goes a long way for us as podcasters when follow us on Instagram. I'll follow you back. We, If I'm not pop up, popping up on your feed, write something to me. I'll write back to you. We'll start coming up on each other's feeds. But when I post clips from this episode, the way we keep getting amazing guests like Tommy on is when he sees that you like the post, he sees you comment with the post, ask him a question, share it, tag a friend. You're scrolling on social media all day anyway. Let Tommy know you're watching it so that when somebody asks, he can say, yes, I went on that show. People loved it. I made an impact. You should definitely go on and do the same. So that's how we keep the party going. But the big thing here is I want to do real estate together. So either send me a direct message on social media that says real estate so I know to look for it. Or just text me the word real estate. Either way, whether it's social media or you want to text me, the number would be 516-540-5733. Again, 
888-500-5733 to text me directly to figure out if you want to buy properties from me, if you want to sell properties to me, or if you just want to partner on some level, reach out to me. Let's get that conversation going. And last but certainly not least, nicknick.com slash biggerpockets. We'll get you a free checklist for any of your buyers. If you're a real estate agent, broker, or wholesaler, a way to get more value to your buyers. Jump on, get that for free today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Tommy Har. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Matt Andrews, for putting an amazing mastermind together. A Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Have a fantastic day. All right, my guest today is a former D1 athlete fighting out of Crickenton, Ohio. One of five kids, the son of an entrepreneur who climbed his way through the ranks of being a home inspector and prop property preservationist and then transitioned his drive and discipline from soccer to a career in real estate investing. He is now even a social media star, which I'm sure he doesn't want to be referred to at, but that's what happened. <laughs> He's got over 65 rentals, valued over $15 million, 25 short-term rentals managed in-house, done over 100 wholesale deals, renovated over 150 properties, accumulated well over a million dollars in profits and revenues, and growing. He's actually involved his entire family in the process as well, leading him to be featured twice on Business Insider in 2022. He is now building a community where he's teaching others to find the success he has found called the Real Side Real Estate Education, where he has over 110 members and has coached over 250 students and counting. My mastermind brother, welcome to the A-Game Podcast, Tommy R. Dude, thanks for having me. That's uh, probably the best intro I've ever had. The uh, the whole D1 athlete star. I don't really <laughs> share that story much anymore, but uh, I love it. I got to do my research, man. I tell everybody, I can't, <laughs> I can't have you come on the A-Game Podcast and give you a B or a C-Game intro. It's got to it's gotta come tight, man. So That was solid. Dude, I love it. For people who maybe aren't 100% familiar with you and your background, yeah, can you give a little bit of a 30,000-foot view of who you are and where you came from? Yeah, so uh, Tommy Har, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, Pickerington, Ohio, to be specific. Um, yeah, man, I, I grew up playing sports, uh, was a Division One athlete, like you said, at, at the University of Dayton here in Ohio. Um, have that whole story of where I thought I was going to play professional sports, never knew what I was going to do. Uh, one of five kids, like you said, as well. And uh, my dad's been an entrepreneur my whole life. So he had a property preservation business um, and a home inspection business. So I grew up trashing out houses, boarding up houses, changing locks, winterizing places. And that was around 08, 09. Um, and then graduated college in 2017. Uh, that business had gone under, not under, but we closed the doors because there wasn't much foreclosures anymore and uh, became a home inspector. So just knew nothing about real estate, knew nothing about really anything. I knew I, I liked money, so I got a finance degree. Um, entrepreneurship was also a major at my school. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna go work with my dad. So let's try that. But um, never, never knew anything about houses, but became a home inspector. So kind of followed my dad around for a year or two and just soaked up as much knowledge as I possibly could. That's awesome, man. So I always think it's a, an interesting transition because a lot of the guys that come on the podcast, they're jujitsu guys, they're UFC fighters, they're boxers or, you know, football guys. But I found that there's a very common denominator that athletes that transfer over to business tend to do really well. Yeah. What do you think it was in your experience coming from the athletic background that helped you excel in business? Um, to me, it's, it's different probably than most, what, what you hear, it's, it's the injuries. So it was the, it was the getting kicked in the face and like having injuries and like, you're, cause you're the guy, it's like, and you're the guy and you get hurt. And then you're kind of nobody at that point. So you got to work your way back up, work your way back into the team and uh, have that unwavering belief in yourself more than anything. So I had some pretty serious injuries in college. One was should have been career ending, uh, worked back from that, had my coaches telling me during that time period that 
Um, I was a detriment to the team. I was on scholarship and they were like, Hey, we don't even know why you're on the team anymore. Blah, blah. blah. And I was like, I was heartbroken. I remember walking back to my dorm room, crying to my mom on the phone. Like I want to quit. I want to do this, but that drive and saying, okay, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up because I know the end goal. And, and I mean, that that's directly correlated in my opinion to business. It's like, it's never going to be easy. You're going to get kicked in the mouth. You're going to get kicked in the teeth. You're going to want to quit, but you're doing it for the right reasons. It's going to work out. You just got to stick to it and uh, know your why. That's awesome. And that, that's a, I feel like almost the same with the people that watch parents that had a secure job. And then they, they look at like the lack of stability there. I feel like that plays like an interesting role there, but you yeah. grew up around entrepreneurs, which a lot of people I speak to don't. Did that sure. help you? Because you had already seen what it was like to have that roller coaster of ups and downs and the, the lack of actual security every month. Yeah. So he never really shared, my dad never really shared the ups and downs as much. He, I got some good and some bad out of it. So the one, the really good thing I got out of it was the work ethic. So one of five kids, I would always watch my dad wake up at five or four 30 in the morning, hit the gym and he'd be up on his laptop working, making breakfast for the kids, taking the kids all to school and going to work all day. But he was always there to, coach. He was always there to be at all of our events. So the entrepreneurship, I saw lifestyle freedom, but I also saw that like, sometimes it can be a hamster wheel as well. So I got to pull those aspects out into the business that I wanted to create. So work ethic is by far like one of the biggest things, like you got to work your ass off no matter where you're at. But also that's why I transitioned out of home inspections because it was a hamster wheel type business. And I knew there was more to life. So I, 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 I and they say, like you, you can work hard as a coal miner and you could say work the same amount of, of, of let's call it hardness as a real estate investor and you can make way more money. So you're and not all money is created equal. So I learned that concept, learned about residual income and, and went all in on investing wholesaling first. So I, I think it's another interesting thing. It says a lot about your character. I, I, li I literally was just uh, doing a, a conference I was speaking at and people, somebody always brings up like, well, like, why didn't the home inspector just buy the property? Why didn't the contractor just become a real estate investor? How come if the realtor's getting you the deal, the realtor's just not buying all the properties? And yeah. I was like, I, I don't know what it is, but some people will just never change from that side that they have, like they're working for somebody versus working for themselves, even though they're literally, all the people that I'm paying to do all the research on the property for me could easily be doing it themselves. They never will. What was it different about you that you decided to transfer <clears throat> over where most people don't? Um, so I started learning about wholesaling when I was probably 23. So my uncle put me on to bigger pockets. He asked me if I wanted to invest in real estate. So I started listening to bigger pockets. I started uh, reading my poor dad, like everybody else. And, um, I mean, I just knew that there was more out there and I wanted to take care of my parents long-term. So, um, short story, I, I bought my first house, with my uncle, we partnered up, we ended up losing a hundred grand on that first flip. And then I was still inspecting all day, every day, driving around, listening to bigger pockets. So I knew that I knew the concepts were right. I knew that this was going to work long term. So I went to a couple of masterminds and I met some people. And we were in, I remember I was in Cancun at a tab retreat. I don't know if you remember tab retreat or not. Um, we were on the beach and I'd met this guy probably a year or two earlier. And he's like, dude, why are you still in, uh, in, inspecting properties? It's like, well, I mean, I want to retire my parents. He's like, kind of like almost shook me. He was like, hey, <laughs> like, if you, and if you inspect a thousand more houses a year, is it going to retire your dad? And I was like, no. And there was some alcohol involved. And it was like, absolutely not. And he was like, he, go, he goes, so why are you still in inspecting houses? And I was like, oh my God, you're right. So 
just like having people surrounded by me or I surrounded people around me that like they knew the bigger picture and they had to kind of tell me like, Hey, get yourself out of it. There's, there's bigger things that you can do. That's awesome, man. I love that. So it looks like your path to real estate came almost naturally because you were already doing trash outs and inspections and stuff for people yeah. in your area that were real estate investors. And shout out to Austin Rutherford, met him a bunch of times, been on the podcast, good guy. But was he initially like the catalyst that made you, was that the guy you had the conversation with? So no. So he came into the picture that's a good story with him. Um, so I knew I wanted to, I, I'd done maybe a wholesale deal or two. I knew I wanted to get into real estate and he was in Columbus crushing it. So I was this inspector. I was doing a lot of hard money draw inspections for every person flipping houses. And I was like, okay, this is, I know this is what I want to do, but how do I get into this business and how do I give value? Cause that's what you hear on all these podcasts. You got to give value, you got to give value, you got to give value. So I was like, okay, I started to realize that wholesalers didn't really know what they were looking at or what they were doing as far as rehab wise, or even the house itself. So I went to one of Austin's meetups after I figured out what I wanted to do. And I, I pulled him aside at the end. I said, Hey, um, I see your wholesale deals. I see the pictures. Um, I, the pictures suck. And I assume you pay <laughs> a contractor 50 bucks or a college student 50 bucks to go take them. I'll do it for $75. I'll give you 150 pictures, 200 pictures, and I'll give you a one page report with it. How does that sound? So he's like, talk to, his name was Mo, talk to Mo. Um, so I talked to Mo and the next day, Austin calls me. He's like, hey, what, what were you talking about yesterday? Like, tell me that again. So he was like, let's let's run it, let's try it. So I, I did a couple of those and that really spread like wildfire. Like it's super undervalued price-wise, but the amount of connections and the amount of networking it allowed me to do and become the expert in that side and give actual value to people was immense. So not only was I becoming the expert in that field, I was also seeing all the wholesale deals and how people ran their operations from the back end um, from being the person that was plug and play into their business. So um, with that small amount, the money wasn't even, it, I wasn't even thinking about the money. I was just thinking about the stuff that it was going to give me. And it worked exactly even better than how I had drawn it up. Man, that is so wise beyond your years at the age that you are to see the value in, because especially I remember when I was like at your age, dude, it, that paycheck was everything. Like you don't see the yeah. future there. I think it's like the, uh, you know, that old thing that they used to do the marshmallow test where they give the kids a marshmallow and say, if you don't eat it now, you'll get another one in 20 minutes. And like the yeah. kids would always eat the marshmallow. So you waited on that. I think that that's uh, that says a lot about your character and probably why you're successful now, because you see the long ball in the relationships. I think that that's beautiful. Cause when we go to all these things that, you know, one of the first things you hear is don't go up to people and ask them like, Hey, like, what can you do for me? It's like, ask them, Hey, what can I do for you? And yeah. I feel like you came with a value approach, which obviously paid off, man. So kudos to you for, for seeing that value. Thank you. Yeah. It just allowed me to network with like, I mean, most people, they go into those relationships. Exactly. How you said, they're just asking how you like, how can I extract stuff from you? But if you just sit there and like give them something they need, like it's going to come back tenfold. So just, it just allowed me to put myself and sit at the table and I knew like, and when I got the chances, I asked the right questions. Like I knew what I wanted and, and I, and I, and I went for it. That's awesome, man. So pivoting to what you were saying earlier about learning uh, the lessons from the injuries. So yeah. talk about starting out when you were going through those first few deals, what are some of the beginner mistakes that you see when people are getting into wholesaling or flipping? Yeah. So, I mean, wholesaling, people think it's going to cut, like you send marketing out and you immediately get deals. I mean, you start, you know, that's how I thought about it when I was listening to bigger pockets. I'm like, Oh, this could be easy. Send out, you send out marketing and 
you, the phone rings and you, and people start selling you their properties on, uh, for pennies on the dollar. <laughs> and that's obviously not true. Nobody taught me the consistency piece. So the injury stuff, in order to get back healthy, you have to be consistent. You have to show up every day. Uh, I was super inconsistent with my wholesaling. So I, I was not hitting the phones every day and I'm sitting there kind of like, my mindset's changed so much since then. It's like, I'm kind of woe is me. I was like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working for me? It's because I wasn't putting in the constant effort every day. So that's one thing I was tell wholesalers, hey, it's not gonna be easy. It's gonna take you six months to build up some sort of a pipeline to get somewhat consistent lead generation deals. If you don't have any money, your effort has to be 10X that. But if you have a little bit of money, you can fuel the fire to get leads and start talking to sellers. So that was lessons on the wholesaling. And then um, flipping is just, there's a learning curve. So you got to be able to find deals. You got to be able to evaluate deals. You got to be able to learn construction a little bit because I didn't want to be the flipper that relied solely on what a contractor tells me uh, because that's what most people do. And you never know what's right and what's wrong. So you got to really learn the game, in my opinion. So coming from that background now, and and by the way, we'll talk a little bit about it. We'll, we'll actually partly back into that because I like some of the stuff you're doing on social media with that. But yeah. so today, what is your mm -hmm. buy bottle to, buy box today? What's your business model today? Talk a little bit about your criteria and what you're doing. Yeah, so our, our business model, so we have, we have, let's call it three companies. So we have our wholesaling company, we have our fix and flip company, we have our buy and hold company. They all kind of work together, um, at least if we generate our own leads. So we're bringing in anywhere from like, seven to 10 to 12 contracts in a month, um, a super lean budget. So we like to be very lean on the marketing side. Um, so we'll, we'll source those and we look at them three exits. Do we want to wholesale this? Do we want to take it down and flip? Or do we want to use the Burr method and keep it long-term as a rental? So as far as buy box goes, uh, we don't have a super, super defined one. Uh, I'll take down a hundred thousand or a hundred year old houses, which we have those in Columbus. Um, stone foundations, lath, plaster, all that stuff, as long as the profit margin's enough. So I look at every deal kind of through the lens of, okay, how old is it? How big is the rehab? And what's my profit margin going to be on this thing? So if it's a newer build, 70s and above, I'm going to consider newer. Uh, some listeners may think that's crazy if you're in like Texas or Arizona, but um, I I'll take I'll take down a thinner deal for that. But if it's a big old house, I need way bigger margins. That makes a lot of sense. So what are you doing as far as market adjustments? Because right now, obviously, things are a little bit of a, a volatile market as far as you don't really know which way they're going to swing. Something's yep. different every day. It seems to be holding up. But for those bigger rehabs now, what's your risk tolerance or how are you adjusting to protect yourself in case of a market adjustment? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to also sit in that first-time home buyer range. So in Columbus, Ohio, that's going to be 100000 to 300000 probably. So I'm not really taking down giant price-wise flips. So I'm not doing anything that's going to be super long-term and over over half a million dollars. I don't want to tie up that much money. Um, luckily, that my market allows that. So I'm also pricing in the uncertainty. So my profit margin, I mean, if I take down a 100-year-old flip and I'm going to put 150 grand into it, my on-paper margin has to be 75,000 to 100 grand because that easily is becoming 50, 40, then to 30 <laughs> with, with over-rehabbing, which always happens, and then a market adjustment, then you're screwed. So just being very careful about those and then throwing out top comps, making sure you're running your ARV super conservatively um, and looking at just the, the for sales in the area too, like what's contingent, what's not being able to kind of read what the, what the future is going to do. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm a big believer now where I used to spread out 
very wide, but I really like the idea of really getting to know your market because when you're looking at it every day, you have a really good pulse for like where things are going. And that's going to give you those adjustments to know where to go, where not to go, how to adjust those numbers and, and all that fun stuff. But you mentioned Burr. So for yep. anybody who's not familiar with that term, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and then repeat, 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 depending on how many hours you want to throw on there. Are you having any issues or adjustments with lenders right now on the refinance side? Because that's always one of those iffy things that people don't talk as much about. Like I got the margin in there, but with uh, the risk tolerance of the banks, are you seeing any adjustments on the refi for what they want from the property or the, what they want from the borrower? Yeah. I mean, it's mostly the borrower. I mean, we're, we're doing a decent amount of DSCR stuff. So it's more straight cash flow and DSCR. So your debt service. So they want to see 1.2 plus. They want to see a minimal 700 plus credit score to get anything in the, even in the eights. So if you have lower than 700 credit score, you're going to get nine. And this is November 2nd. So you're going to be in the nines in interest rate. So a single family home doesn't really cash flow that, that way. So if we are, and we're not holding as much right now, just to be completely honest, just it just doesn't make that much sense unless it's a killer deal. We'll, we'll look at interest only options as well to, especially if we get a 75% LTV loan, we have the equity. I'll take an IO loan to maybe cash flow a little bit with, um, with the idea of refinancing in two to three years in the future. So kind of stuff your pockets now with the cash flow, the print, cause your principal pay down in the beginning of those loans is really marginal anyway. So take that cash flow up front. Hopefully, I mean, maybe hopefully the house doesn't depreciate. If it stays at the value it's at, you can refinance in the future, barring a crazy prepayment penalty. So just trying to be creative on that end. That's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. And like you said, the more real estate you can get your name on, man, it's it's very forgiving. Even if we do see a little bit of a dip, you hold that for five or 10 years, especially in a market like Columbus, man, every day people are getting turned on to Columbus, Columbus, Columbus. Yeah. So Crazy. I think it's a good strategy, man. Thank All you. right. So, so breaking down some of like the, the peers of this now, acquisitions, rehab, dispositions are kind of the key when we, you know, obviously funding and stuff like that. So I want to hear a little bit about like what you're doing or what you're seeing, starting with acquisitions. So acquisitions, what are some of your strategies right now for finding deals? Yeah. So our bread and butter for the last four years has been texting and cold calling. So we use launch control for texting. Uh, we're, so we use uh, REI SIFT, which Tyler's also in, in the family mastermind. So REI SIFT has been a pillar of our business for probably two or three years. So we pull prop stream lists, pretty much that's it for paid lists. And then we mix them with county lists. So free, so your eviction lists, your tax delinquents, all that stuff. Throw them into REI SIFT because if you have enough data, um, you're going to start seeing the same points. I don't want to re-skip trace those. So it's going to stack those for us. And if they're if they're super targeted, we'll hand dial those people. But most of those lists are going to go directly out to our cold callers. So we've got five cold callers in Egypt, uh, maybe six now. And, and then we we run a launch control account. And that consistently brings us probably seven to 10 leads a day. So that's a really interesting topic for today. As you said, the end of like kind of Q4, 2023, launch control, texting, SMS. There's a whole thing right now about that oh, yeah. that's going away. I literally just got a text from somebody like, oh, that's going out. But I, I just, right before I talked to you, I was on uh, a thing with launch control. Yep. I'm a big believer in when people are running away from something, it's going to create a little bit more of an opportunity. Yep. You just have to learn the rules to play by it. So are you one of those believers now who who's sticking with SMS or are you yes. ditching it and running for the hills? No, I'm sticking with it. Um, my partner was actually on that same call. So we uh, we're going to stick with it. We're going to we're going to play within the boundaries and exactly what you said. I mean, people are going to run and go jump to the next thing. I like going just I like staying in what I know. 
And if that, I mean, hopefully not to a fault, but I think that there's <laughs> going to be opportunity. I agree with you, man. hundred percent. Cool. So another area here is rehabbing. Now there's a, a bunch of different things we can go into with rehabbing, but especially we're going to talk about your social media stuff, but I'd love what you've been doing out there with showing the components and what the things cost and what behind the walls are, man. Like that's one of the best things I see out there right now. Like just the visual and kind of the, the true cost of all that stuff. I, yeah. I, I like what you're doing out there, man. But one of my, one of my first things is did your background as a home inspector help you to understand construction and rehabbing? Absolutely. I mean, that seek, I mean, even if I did, I mean, I didn't get paid much at all. Um, and I didn't really deserve to get paid that much. I was young and it was kind of like a, it's a beginner job. Right. So even if it's my dad or not, it's so funny side note, like I'll post that, Hey, I've got 65 rentals. I started as a home inspector, make a 40 grand a year. And I'll get comments and people are like, Oh, so daddy helped you out. I'm like, dude, did you just not read that? I was making $32,000 a year working for my dad. Like what tells you there that, uh, he was helping me out. Like, obviously they helped me out and it's amazing, but like, that's not really much of a, like Donald Trump million dollar loan type thing. Right. So, um, but home inspections, man, I mean, being able to just walk houses every single day, like five houses a day between all, you see everything and uh, a full gut rehab from a hard money loan bank side, I get to see their budgets. So like there was a time period when Everybody was using hard money. Lima One Capital was the big one in Columbus at the time. This was probably 2018. I was looking at 10, 20 full scope of work budgets a week. And I was being able to like visualize as I walked in and I didn't know it at the time. It was just like, this is on site, like real fix and flip training. And I was getting to see real numbers and kind of just as time went on, see good rehabs. I got to see really bad rehabs. Mm -hmm. I got to meet really good contractors and uh, really bad ones. So if somebody was in there and doing really good work, I would ask them for their number. If they were doing really bad, I would stay very far away from that contractor. Um, and then just being able to like know now, like pockets, I was driving around for every day and every zip code. So if you tell me a street in Columbus, I can probably tell you the zip code. I can probably tell you the age of the house. I can probably now tell you the ARV of the house. So without even looking at Zillow. So just really getting a really good microeconomic background of that. And then also knowing ages of homes and components. It was just an absolute game changer when I decided to buy start buying. Man, that's such a great extensive background to have. I I think some of the biggest things I've learned over the years on the rehab side has been by by going over my home inspection reports with my home inspector. It, it's, it's just a huge thing. And I, I always go in like this time machine in my head of like, if I could go back, like what would help me out? And sometimes I'm like, finance, economics, contractor, but I think I would still go back to home inspector. I think that's probably yeah. where, where I would land on, man. So that, that's awesome yeah. stuff. Yeah, it was now, super cool. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, it was, I mean, and I also got to work with my dad every day. I mean, not everybody can that say they awesome. do, can do that. So it was just, it, it was so fun. Just like shooting the shit on the, like we'll be on a roof. And <laughs> my, my dad's like a big kid. He just like will crack jokes and just it would have a lot of fun while we were doing it. So I, that's the what I really miss about it. That's cool, man. That's awesome. So on the rehab side, again, one of the things I tell people is some of the ways you're going to get your book on flipping. One of them is going to be obviously... ARV could be messed up. The other one could be that your construction budget, they could either go over budget or then go over rehab. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, over the timeline. But the other thing is I tell people, you have to manage that contractor the, the right way. And yeah. that was something I think I messed up huge when I first started was not checking in on them daily, not having those upfront contracts, not having those expectations and, and those good lines of communication. So after doing so many rehabs, like aside from just 
the actual nuts and bolts of keeping somebody on time and on budget. What are some tips you have to like manage that relationship during the renovations with the contractor? Sure. Man, it's really, that's, it's not, it's not an easy thing. So it's a lot of emotional intelligence. It's a lot of like, cause not every contractor is going to be the same, but you kind you said it in the middle there, it's expectation. So if you work with me and my company, we set the expectation up front before a hammer ever gets swung. Uh, to me, the, 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 the biggest thing that people mess up is the payment schedule. So it, most contractors, when they finish, they're calling you no matter what. And that could be that same night. It could be a Saturday night. It could be a Sunday morning. You could be at church and they're calling you, hey, I'm done. Where's my money? <laughs> if, they were, if they work for, for me and my company, they need to bill me by Monday to be paid out by Friday. So they need to invoice what was done per scope of work on Monday to my team. So now we have four days to do a bunch of things. Number one is to look over the work. We actually go to the houses and make sure that that work is actually done and done well. Number two, if we don't have any money in our bank account, that gives us four days to scramble and figure out how we're going to pay these guys. Because they all, no matter what, you're getting paid on Friday. So it allows us to get a hard money draw inspection, allows us to pull private money, allows us to ship money around in bank accounts. And then number three, it lets them know that they're not working for a mom and pop business. It lets them know that, hey, these people are actually serious. This has to go to the accounting, even if it's just you. Hey, this has to go through my accounting department. It has to get approved by the uh, bookkeeper, all this stuff to know, okay, holy shit, I can't just call Tom on a Tuesday night at midnight and threaten him for his money because you set the expectation up front, if that makes sense. That was a that big change in our, sense, big, big change in our business. Finish quality expectations was big. I'm not huge on like timeline expectations, unless it's egregious. I think that's one thing I'll be a little more lenient on. Um, but quality is a big thing. So like floors, trim, caulking, like just really fine uh, finish work. Even if it's not nice materials, it still needs to be installed well. I, I joke around. I say the two things that I have is I get contractors that can do a job on budget. And then I get a contractor that can do a job on time. But I've rarely found the ones that can do both. So I'm trying to have two of them have a baby together that maybe I can hire. <laughs> But yeah. where's your thoughts on that? Because the ones that I see Rick really race to hit that finish line, the, the quality is, I mean, that's the stuff that the buyers see. They don't see all this stuff behind the walls and all that kind of stuff. No. So like, where, where's that fine line of like, how do you keep them somewhat? Like, do you put a cushion in there for, you know, it, they said four weeks, you're just going to budget six, knowing that it's going to take a little bit longer. Like, how do you balance out that, that fine line between letting them slack off, but actually giving them a realistic expectation? Man, I mean, it's it's so hard to kind of say. Um, it, it's contractor by contractor because you got what, like you said, time, speed, and quality, or time, money, and quality. Um, so you're never going to get all three together. So you <laughs> got to just kind of upfront pick it. So if you're doing maybe a rental turn in an area that's not amazing and you know you're not going to put out the best product, which may happen, I don't do a lot of that, but sometimes um, I I may choose for speed and and, and inexpensive but the quality may lack. So you got to just like know upfront what you're getting with that specific contractor first. Um, and then, I mean, I think having like, we have a project manager and we have a runner. So the runner goes and he's taking pictures of properties pretty much every day of the week. So have, letting the contractors know we're, we're in there looking over their shoulders and like, we're not just leaving you for weeks and letting you take pictures of the property. We have people going and looking and reporting back to me every night in an end of day email. So my, my project manager sends me an EOD every, every night of updated pictures, all a summary of the big ticket items of every project. So I can get on the contractor's asses if need be. 
That makes a lot of sense. Do you pay them like per job or do you put your pro your project manager on a salary? So project manager salary with uh, incentivizations on timelines and also uh, budget. So awesome. if they if they kick ass, get it done fast and uh, get on budget, you get a nice bonus. That's awesome, man. The last kind of rehab thing I'd like to ask here is different markets right now are in all over the spectrum for where they are as far as supply chain and permits and inspections. Are you factoring that in by like just following up with the city or seeing how long it's taking on your deals? And is there like that fine line of, you know, you won't do X, Y, and Z because it's going to take B, C, and D to get that done with the city and all that kind of stuff? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's certain jurisdictions in Columbus that, you know, right away that if you're dealing with them, add three months to your budget, like minimum. So we know that going in and it's just got to be baked into our profit margins. Right. So not only like it's opportunity cost of your contractors, it's also your time and your headache. Like the, you could be making, let's call it 75 grand on paper, but if you got to deal and go out to that property 30 times to meet inspectors and stuff, like what's your time really worth at the end of the day? So your profit margin on that's maybe like 30. It's like you're wasting so much time and manpower that you could be using on another quick cosmetic rehab, maybe two of them that you can make up that money for. So we're always looking at, hey, what's our manpower at that time? If we have a crew that can do it and we're not overly busy, let's take it on. But if we have a bunch of other stuff in the pipeline, let's let's pass on it. That's really good info, man. And, uh, you know, on the on the contract, the selection side, obviously you're dealing with a lot of referrals and stuff. But let's say you you call me, you say, hey, Nick, you got a contract there. I send you over. I vouch for them. What are some like quick and dirty things you look for to see if this person's even worth you having a conversation with or sending out to bid a job? Um, number one, timeliness um, to get back to me. Number uh, that if they, if they take forever to get back to me, I don't even want to talk to them. Um, if they're late, late to meet me on site, then that's a that's a big no no. They don't let me walk a property of theirs or a project. Um, if they keep a dirty work site, I don't like that either. Um, and then immediately, if they start bad mouthing other people immediately, so blaming others and not taking like let's call it extreme ownership for things. I don't even want to work with those people. I've been burned so many times by people right away just saying, oh, well, you know, like. This last person did this to me. It's like, this is going to happen to me. I'm going to be that next person. So I try to stay away from those people. And then like, if it's a referral from you, I hold, I, I hold my, that weight in gold. So also how they answer the phone. So if I call somebody and it's like, they're like, Hey, how's it going? It sounds like they just woke up. It's noon. I'm like, all right, I'm not even going to try it. So a lot of things that are mixed in. Dude, that's fantastic. That's really good info there. So if you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. Transitioning now, pivoting over from the rehabbing, let's talk about now the dispositions. Now, obviously, 
if it's a flip, pretty easy, list it with a realtor, throw yep. on the market, get rid of it. But on the wholesale side now, I'm very interested to see what you're doing to dispo those properties because the market shifted a little bit, buyer criteria shifted a little bit, yep. and that's a little bit of a gray area now. So talk about how you're dispositioning deals Q4 2023. Yeah, we're hitting the phones hard. We're, I mean, we just hired dispo again out. Um, so they literally three weeks ago, hired another full-time person. Uh, we are combing through our buyers list. We probably have, let's call it eight to 10,000 people on there. We're calling everybody. We're getting everybody on the phone. We're asking them if they're still buying, what's their criteria, what's their exact zip code they want to buy in, because it's not, a, it's not enough to send an email anymore. I mean, if this was two, three years ago, you post on Facebook, you send an email, a deal sold, and you're a rock star. Like, just, I, I thought I was the, the dispo man back then, <laughs> but it was just like, no, you just kind of sold it to a hedge fund, and it was easy, right? So um, really getting targeted. So our podio is built out to where, like, I, I need another zip code in their, in their buying criteria. And also like asking the probing questions of how do you buy? So is it cash? Is it hard money? Because I know if, if it's hard money, I, I now know that, that I have to prep the seller for probably another walkthrough. And if we didn't do that on the acquisition side, set that expectation, then it might get squirrely. So I need to be able to set the tone for the rest of the, uh, for the rest of the walkthroughs um, and really kind of setting, uh, and we have to set walkthroughs now. I try to tiptoe around it for a while. You have to set walkthroughs. And you have to incite some uh, FOMO. So you have to be like, hey, get everybody in at one time. Let them see the other people that are coming to bid on the property and get them to, to bid each other up a little bit. That's really good. And I think that probably makes life a little bit easier dealing with the seller too when you give them one or two time slots, right? Yeah, absolutely. Nice, man. So the the reverse engineering there, is that part of... Like, how do you track all that? Because when you're looking at now you're talking to all these buyers and they're giving you all this different buying criteria. When you get a deal now, how do you sort it to say like, oh, well, this is going to work for Jimmy, but it's not going to work for Nick, but it's going to work for Timmy, but not for yep. Jane. Like, how do you, how does that all come together? Yeah, so our Podio, we we, ta we have tags for everything. So if it's a zip code, so hopefully it was zip or at least like we wrote out the uh, the city. So then our VAs will go in and scrub those on the back end and pop in the zip codes for us. Um, but filtering it as, as close down as we can and then just hand dialing those people we call it a snipe so we, we want to snipe those buyers as well as like our mass marketing efforts so we want to text the, the deal out we want to still email it out because you never know who's going to see it but i want the people that i know that i talk to to see that deal and like personalize hey we have this deal we talked about it boom so sometimes you i mean right now you just got to hand it on a platter like this to them to where it's, it's just impossible to say no love that man so you mentioned VAs. Let's talk yep. a little bit about how how are you using your VAs right now for your business? Oh, okay. So we have we we have quite a few VAs. So not not like some people where they have like twenty, but uh, we have two VAs that work full time in our uh, wholesaling business. We'll probably get another for Dispo here soon. But uh, lead management, um, skip tracing, uh, data mining basically like doing everything data wise. Uh, if we like driving for dollars chat in our Slack, if we drive by a house, they'll grab it, scrub it and make sure that we, we hand dial them or whatever it is. Um, so making sure that the marketing engine is always rolling. So that was the first thing we saw in our wholesaling business that we had to build out because that is the most important part of the business is to keep leads coming in, but it's the most boring and the most tedious low level stuff to do, but it needs done. So outsourcing that immediately to VAs and building out really strong SOPs on that to where they can just run it themselves. So at this point, Aura, she's been with us two years, a little over two years. 
she knows more about REI SIFT and she knows more about um, pulling lists than me or my business partner do at this point. She teaches, she literally trains other VAs for other people now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Now, how, how do you interact though? So like, what does your day-to-day look like? How often are you checking in with them? I assume you're using like WhatsApp or Slack or Zoom or something along those lines. Yeah. So um, we'll Zoom with them uh, on, on, on like acquisitions meetings and, and touch bases. And then we're, we're texting back and forth on Slack uh, within our entire company pretty much all day. Nice, man. And then do you, how do you train? Do you do like onboarding or I'm assuming like you're probably outsourcing the onboarding now, but were you doing that initially? Um, I mean, we still do a lot of the onboarding because um, we don't br- like our retention rate with our VAs is really high. Uh, we pay them well and like we treat them as, as part of the company. I think people get that pretty wrong too, is like use them as means to an end and talk to them maybe as lessers, but like they're massive parts of our business. Um, but we make sure that up front, before we start even to hire, we have our, most of our SOPs built. We have a lot of screen recordings made. Um, they're all in folder folders. And then we pretty much just do the business live with them when we train. And if you do it one time and you record it, there you go. You got your training manual right there. That's smart, man. I, I, I have to, I always tell myself I'm going to record all this stuff. And then while I'm in the middle of doing it, I'm like, I don't want to start over. I'll do it next time. And then next time <laughs> comes into never. So I just have right. to have a little bit of discipline on that, man. So yeah. awesome, brother. So that, that's been really helpful information. I think that there was key takeaways that you gave for every aspect of that, which is probably why you are a social media star, sir. That's why you have so <laughs> many followers. That's why you've done such a great job. But, uh, you know, family mastermind, I see people posting. Everyone's like, man, Tommy R, he's the social media guy, man. He's got it down. He's got it locked in. You know, for anybody who's not, obviously, we'll put all the links in the show notes. But your social media is outstanding, man. You give great content. It's informative. It's entertaining. It's it's really good stuff, man. So talk a little bit Thank about it. First off, how are you using social media for your business? Yeah. So a lot of it's non-direct ROI stuff. So stuff you can't really have. It's not tangible. So uh, building a brand. So uh, you, you can sell stuff in the future, but one is just like, is my name synonymous with good business? Is my name synonymous with uh, like teaching people the right things for real estate? And if somebody finds a deal in Columbus, who are they going to, who are they going to think of? Hopefully they think of me. So giving education um, and then private money, man, being able to raise, I mean, raising capital is one of my big things in our business. So it's been unbelievable. Just like people lend me, quarter millions of dollars and I've never met them before in my life it's straight from Instagram so <laughs> if, if sometimes I'll, I'll like it, it really blows me away sometimes because I'll post about it if I'm like really in a tight spot and I, I got to figure out how to fund a deal I'll be like hey I got this investment I'll get like 10 dms and be like hey I, I'm in I've all I followed you for three years um I'm, I'm ready to go I trust you it's like holy shit that's that's good I I, I I've been building this up for for time uh, and time again it's consistency yeah, man, the social proof, that credibility is is money, man. I think, again, it goes back to a different version, but the same principle of what you did with the home inspection business. You're you're putting in the time now that's going to pay you out later, and obviously that's done that. So yeah. I know everybody who watches Tommy and Austin Rutherford goes, yeah, I'm going to start a TikTok, and I'm going to have 100,000 followers, and I'm going to make – but you see it's not all – like it's very hard, especially with Instagram. I'm surprised you've had such growth on it. Because it seems tougher and tougher to get organic growth and to really hack those algorithms. So talk a little bit about yeah. some of your keys to how you've grown such a huge audience on social media in such a small amount of time. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I've been posting, so consistently posting for over two years every day. So 
I, I, a little backstory about that is Austin was a big catalyst to that. So he, he's one of, he's one of my business mentors and a great friend now um, doing business. And I post on my stories a lot, but he's like, dude, you got to like post on social media, like really like show people what you're doing. So hired my first content guy probably two years ago. He would fly in from Georgia. He'd follow me around for two day, two or three days out of the week and just shoot everything we did. And the content sucked. I mean, it was just like, it wasn't great. We were just kind of walking around and it, it just, there was no flow to it. There was no, like, you get some good stuff if you watch long enough, but it wasn't really gaining traction. And I'm not a very patient person either. So it was really testing me. And I was like, I know I want to do this. And I made the commitment to myself. Once I started social media, can't stop. So it's a commitment because you're putting yourself out there and you can't stop, start and stop. I look at it as a perpetuity thing. Once you start, there's no end to it. You got to, you got to continuously show up. So um, when I realized that wasn't working, I watched the Layla Hermosi video, just popped up on my timeline and she super, I mean, the, her and Alex Hermosi are amazing. They're some of their concepts they, they give out are fantastic, but they were like, listen, you, the guys with, that had doing content, great for doing content. I applaud you, but you, your life's not that cool. You don't need a cameraman following you around to everywhere you go and recording your conversations, all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That, that what you need to do is you need to digest, let's call it on a Sunday, digest everything you did that week, write it out and write and shoot content on that. You're still telling what you did. You may not catch like some crazy things in the moment, but that's okay. Cause most of my stuff's education. I'm not trying to like uh, really show like theatricals. So that really changed my entire business uh, for social media because I now write out every single video you watch, every word that you see come out of my mouth is written. I write the hooks, I write the entire script, I write the body, I create the automations, I do everything. That's incredible, man. Again, how you do anything is how you do everything. So that's probably yeah. why you're successful in real estate and on social media. <laughs> you know, the last key point I want to ask about that is uh, our, our Sam Prim, he was a mastermind guy. Guy's yeah. killing it right now, but I'll watch, yes. dude. He's got a, this crazy social media following. He drops all this really good content. And then I made the mistake of reading the comments one day. The amount of hate and just shit talking and ridiculous comments that were completely yeah. inaccurate for like a 30 yeah. second post. And I felt bad for him, you know, even though I was yeah. like, he doesn't care. He's probably not even reading it. The guy's doing good. But when you put yourself out there, I think a lot of people, I, and I, dude, I've never, I was just having this conversation. Never in my life have I been the person who left a shitty or a hateful comment on somebody else's Same. content. I just, Same. you know, why would you, if I don't like it, I'm just not going to post anything, but people put so much effort into, into hating and negativity and all that stuff for somebody who's just trying to put some good content out there. And I think it's part of the reason why, as much as people want to be Tommy Har, they don't really want to put themselves out there and have that vulnerability. How do you handle the haters? I mean, first thing I do is go, I go to their page. If, 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 yeah. if it bothers. So sometimes it'll bother me. And like, I'll be like, man, like F this guy. Like what? So I'll go to their page and it's one picture of their dog. And it's like, okay. And they got 12 followers. It's like, okay. Like they're not even showing their face. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to completely forget about this person. And then usually like, if I, like say I have a couple beers in me and I'll snap back at some people. I'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry who hurt you that day. Like, <laughs> I hope, I, I hope you have a better day. God bless you. And just like, be like, you know what? I don't know what you have going on in your life. Everybody has problems. Everybody has issues. Uh, if you want to project that on me, if you want me to be the trampoline for that, go ahead. I don't really care. Um, I'm going to be successful no matter what you say about me on my post. So, and it's also propelling my algorithm. So if you're, if you're posting a comment, people are going to see it more. So comment away. 
and I don't really post more. I, I the posts that I do go that do go viral. It's more like fringy of like where you do get hate stuff. Um, but you kind of just let it bounce off your chest, man. Yeah, no, it's smart. My uh, my my buddy, I should actually get him as part of a family mastermind. But Kevin Shippey, he's got a great shout out. Two guys take on real estate, amazing social media content. But they just started doing a a, a session, I guess, that they have like uh, and it's where he reads all of his hate and he like responds. It's fantastic. You know, and he always starts out with, well, first and foremost, Tommy, thank you for helping our algorithm because millions of people are going <laughs> to see this now because you keep shitting all over my posts. But it is it's one of those things. I guess it's just perspective. So absolutely. Dude, I don't want to take up your whole day. A couple of more things here that I just want to kind of go over when we go here. First off, I like to call this the Victory Lab, where we ask a couple of final questions and snip things together. And I definitely want to hear about how you're helping people. I want to talk about the class coming up in December, where people cool. can can find you and learn from you. But my first question in the Victory Lab was, dude, how was Egypt? I've always wanted to go there. It's freaking <laughs> amazing you just went there. Uh, Egypt was great. Um, it was great. And it's crazy. I mean, just going to different cultures, I've always said, like, just gives you such a different perspective on life man so in college i had ghanaian roommates people literally had never been to america they come straight from ghana and you just learn so much like about what life's really about like a lot of this stuff is vanity um it, it so perspective was awesome seeing the old stuff but also been very, very impoverished i mean it's just it's just tough how people live so um very cool but very uh very surreal at the same time was it one of those things? Cause you hear from everybody like, you don't want to go there. It's not safe. It's not safe. It's not safe. But I, I, I know not that many people have gone there, but I don't know anybody that came back and was like, <laughs> I got mugged. They got shot. I got threatened. Yeah. Like everybody kind of has a great story. Yeah. It's all about like, hopefully I only really go places. I mean, not always, but with places I have connections at. So if you have a, a, a person that's from there, they can kind of steer you around the right way. And having a good host is really important. Man, those periods, the pyramids are definitely a bucket list type of thing there, man. What was it? Uh, did it have like a different energy? Did it feel surreal? I mean, I mean, everybody's kind of throwing around the the idea of like, there's no way this was man-made. That whole thing was always floating around. I mean, they're the, the blocks are, they're humongous. So, I mean, it kind of gives you, and, and they're so old. It's just like, you kind of put it in the perspective of America's however old. And this is like way, way before. So it's like, oh my God, this is. I don't, I live in this little bubble of who I am right now. And there's just so much more. Dude, the, those pyramids, that'll, uh, that'll give your hundred year old house a rehab run for its money. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> that right. Something goes wrong That's over right. there. A lot, a lot of permits you got to pull. Awesome, <laughs> man. So I know you, I know you're a reader, man. So talk about what, what's a book that's influenced your life. Um, there's a, there's a decent amount of books that influenced my life. I'm going to just talk about the last one. I, I just read shoe dog. Uh, by Phil Knight, the uh, founder of Nike. Uh, it just the perspective of of seeing just how long it takes to really build a business and bootstrap something and go through the highs and the lows and mostly the lows because um, you only see somebody where they're at right now and you don't know all the stuff they went through to get there. So if you've not read that, it's just I mean, he was making they were making millions of dollars at one point and he would go home to his wife and be like, we could go under tomorrow and everybody's seeing you doing all these great things and like from the outside looking in, you're, you're killing it, but like it could all be gone tomorrow. So it's like the risks of entrepreneurship and just lets you feel better that like, you're not the only one ever going through that. I feel like the founder of one of the biggest brands ever went through that for years. It, it just gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of good, uh, good stuff. That's a good one, man. Actually, I haven't heard that one yet. I'm going to pick that up today. That's good stuff. Great book. Great book. What is one of your favorite quotes? 
Um, I would say the, the, the quote, I might butcher it, but you overestimate what you can do in a day and you underestimate what you can do in a year. So a lot of people, especially when they get into a business, especially with social media, uh, it, it, with the fuel behind that, like, oh, I'm going to go start, let's call it wholesaling. I'm going to go wholesale. I'm going to crush it right away. It doesn't work like that. Um, Ed Milet calls it compound pounding. You can't see really what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, but you look back, we look at everything in our business on a 90-day term. If you look back 90 days, you can really start to see needles start to move, but you can't really see it from a, a true day-to-day -day perspective. So starting to see your time in chunks and just being able to, to, to see how your, your efforts are really compounding. That's good, man. I like that. I never actually heard that term before. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Very nice. Any quick references to a real estate nightmare that you've had on one of your deals? Oh, man. <clears throat> um, I mean, I lost $100,000 on my first flip. That's pretty Me bad. And my uncle. It's pretty bad. <laughs> so I, I'll never forget uh, Austin. Well, one of his meetups, they're like, huh, "How many people have lost money in real estate?" And I mean, there's probably 100 people in this room. So 100 people in the room, and like, I raise my hand. Not many people raise their hand. They're like, "Okay, how about 30 grand?" A couple people put their down. 50 grand, boom. And like, I was the only one after 50 grand. He's like, "How much you lose?" And I was like, "100 grand." Everybody's like, "Oh." So I mean. It just, it just taught me it probably can't get worse than that. You got to keep going. Um, all bad things turn good if you hold it, if you, if you keep holding on long enough. And uh, it taught me a lot, of, a lot about contracting. It taught me a lot about um, not, all, not everything's going to be wins. Not everything's like social media. And I learned that first, which is great because it was the, the first lesson I had. What was it that went wrong that, that cost you so much money? So we overshot ARV. So it was a six bed, five bath house. 4,000 square foot in a very nice area. Overshot ARV, undershot rehab, undershot timelines. Um, kind of like the the concoction for failure, you know? So, and and I didn't fire my contractor fast enough. I didn't fire him really at all. So I knew I should have and just never did. I didn't know better. Man, I could check every one of those boxes. So don't feel bad at that, as you know. Probably <laughs> everybody has made every one of those mistakes probably multiple times, man. So I feel Absolutely. for you. But that is why we met at a place like a mastermind and we're both big and we invest in ourselves. We invest in education constantly because those mistakes, I tell everybody, you're going to pay for your education one way or another. And as cliche as that sounds, the differences in real estate, those mistakes could be 70, 90, $100,000. And if you don't know what you're doing, you don't have a bunch of money, you might not ever recover from that. So Absolutely. talk about real side real estate education that you're doing. I know you got a class coming up in December. I might be there. I'm hoping some of our listeners might be there. So this is probably airing mid-November. So not that far away. They could be jumping yeah. in to learn from you. So talk a little bit about what you got going on there. Yeah, so the workshop is a, 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 we'll call an intermediate wholesaling workshop. So we're going to come in and teach you how to scale from, let's say, inconsistent leads and deals. So if you're, in the, if you're that type of person that gets a deal here and there, get a little lucky with, with uh, or unlucky with leads, we're going to teach you how to consistently get your lead flow in, train and hire virtual assistants to build your lower level of your business, uh, make uh, maybe even hire salespeople um, KPIs. Uh, we're going to build out your SOPs, talk about transaction coordination, acquisitions, like talk about every piece of the buckets, talk SOPs and how you can really build out a wholesaling business and have consistency with lead flow and deal flow to where you don't have to really worry about where that next deal is coming from. Because, you know, if you do the right outputs or the right inputs, so like the right amount of calls, the right amount of leads, you're going to get deals. So we're going to be teaching that. December 4th and 5th in Columbus, Ohio. 
Uh, we'd love to have you guys there. I'll also throw in uh, $500 off for anybody that comes here. It's 2000 bucks, but take $500 off for anybody that wants to come from, uh, from this podcast. And uh, we'll love to have anybody. And that also will give you access to the Real Side of Real Estate community. So it's a community we built probably eight to 10 months ago. We have a little over 100 people in there right now, uh, like-minded individuals that want to learn how to wholesale and how to flip. We call it the real side of real estate because we're not teaching you like rah-rah-y stuff. It's not like, it's not just random theory. It's real life scenarios. It's real tactical things that you can go out and do tomorrow to actually do deals and learn the, the real way of investing. We don't hide the losses. We don't, uh, you learn from the losses. Um, there's two live calls a week. I've got one tonight at seven. We're going to teach the permitting process for construction. Um, so teaching the nitty gritty and uh, just there's a lot more to it, uh, but that's the the basics. And it's going to be actually you teaching it. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty badass, man. I, I love that. So anybody starting out, man, you want to learn from somebody who's made those mistakes or just you don't have to. I'm a big believer on that timeline. And when people, even if they do start to take some action, I, I always refer to it as the onion. You've, oh, I, I see this. This is good. And then you get in there. You're like, oh, there's so, so much more that I didn't even notice to see in there, man. So I yeah. think the value for what you're doing, man, is absolutely incredible. A guy who's actually in there doing this business every single day, making money in a market like this, when a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines and especially understanding the disposition side and the rehab side right now that are changing so much guys that are doing like, I I'm, I'm selling myself. I'm probably going to be there. So if you guys are listening and you want to go attend, what are some ways they can contact you about the course, talk about how they can find yeah. you, how they can find all your stuff on social media. Yeah. Yeah. So hit me up on uh, Instagram, Tommy Hard zero five. Uh, I respond to all my DMS. I'm not going to followers almost mean nothing. Like it, 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 I'm just a normal Midwest guy. So uh, I like to help people out, shoot me a DM, understand that like if you ask me a 30 page book i may not be able to answer all of it but uh, <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna answer the best of my ability but shoot me a dm on instagram if you want to learn about the workshop just shoot me a, a message workshop and and i'll even hop on a phone call and see if you're a good fit that's awesome man i really appreciate it. and that's that's very noble of you sir to give the discount i didn't realize you're gonna do that so <laughs> huge value there man i think it's awesome you sir obviously bring your a game to everything you do in life or you wouldn't be where you are today this interview has been no different you definitely brought your a game to this podcast today any final thoughts before i let you go my friend no man um i know we're in the same mastermind so just just put yourself around people that are winning um whether it's starting your own little networking group uh getting around people that think the same way you do it's going to elevate your game so um i know me and nick are gonna uh have, have great memories here in the future i know it's the start of a, a of a really good lasting relationship and uh, can't wait to see what you do in the future too man likewise man i look forward to uh joining you on your journey and we have to make up for not getting dinner in uh, Tampa, man. That whole thing, those three days, like freaking shot by, man. So <laughs> do. definitely got to make a plan to link up. And uh, I'll touch base with you after this because I definitely want to talk to you about coming out to Ohio soon. Tommy okay. Harley, ladies and gentlemen, have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, brother. Have a good day, man.